This I Work For Him podcast is brought to you by the Pocket Testament League. Visit ptl.org for practical resources and encouragement to help you share your faith. ptl.org. Welcome to I Work For Him this afternoon as we broadcast you from the Hampton Roads area of Virginia. I, you guys got to come visit this area. It's beautiful. So a real big shout out to our I Work For Him listening audience on the Lighthouse AM 1010 and FM 100.1, and also, of course, out to our Tampa Bay audience, and that's on uh, AM 570 and 910 and FM 102.1 in Lakeland, and of course, all over Jacksonville on The Truth. Martha. Yeah, so, you know, we just want our um, listeners here in the Hampton Roads area to understand we are here. We are excited to be here. We are thrilled to be interviewing some people that live here, um, and that are their people. And so um, we're excited to get to know the area and be here in person. And this is going to be a great show. If you have any um, comments, suggestions, want to connect with us for anything, you can call our listener line at 866-713-9675. That's 866-713-WORK. Like I said, we're on the road in Hampton Roads area of Virginia, and we have got our good friend Jack Clem back on the air with us. Jack, welcome back to I Work For Him. Thank you, Jim. It's really good to be back together with you on the, on La- the air. Last time we were together, where you were in, in Clearwater as you uh, helped lead Clearwater Christian College. Now, the Lord brought you back up to Norfolk, Virginia, which I know is Norfolk, yeah, Virginia. That's okay. right. How do you say it? Norfolk. You do? Yes. No, I asked you earlier. You actually, I heard the, I heard the R last He's time when you said it. been practicing all day. All right, so uh, what brought you back up here? Well, after the college closed and we uh, re- we went to Chicago for a period of time, then we came back to Tampa and uh, was working with a church there. And then uh, actually my wife had an opportunity to um, come back to Hampton Roads and work at Children's Hospital of the King's Daughter. She had been working there and continued to work there even though it was remote. Um, she had an opportunity to come back. There was a, a staff opening, and uh, we decided to take advantage of it because it put us back in the area where our daughter and her husband are living and put us a lot closer to some other family members. Our son is up in Washington, D.C. So um, it just made sense for us to come back and and reestablish our roots here and make our uh, life go again. And it feels here. like home to it you. It does. Yeah, it is. We lived here for 14 years, and uh, so we raised our kids here, and and this is home for us in many, many ways. Now, you got you are now teaching at Regent University. I am, yep. Talk to us about that. Yeah, I um, have a really sweet opportunity adjuncting at uh, Regent uh, and working in the undergrad program, uh, College of uh, Arts and Sciences, working biblical studies, Christian ministry, and just having a lot of fun teaching uh, undergrads. I love that age group to teach, and they're very impressionable, very open, uh, very uh, curious about life and ministry, and so just uh, having fun teaching Bible and theology classes to them. Now, you've got a lot of friends here in this area, as you said, Norfolk, and, which is really the South, the Hampton, as our guest said, the Southampton Roads area, but you know, talk to me. You invited a guy to join us on today's show. Mm-hmm. Why don't you Tell us about them and then introduce them to our guests. Sure, I'd love to. Yes, uh, I'm really pleased uh, for you all to meet uh, Stacy Potts. And um, I wish his wife could have been here too. She's the... uh, So we won't be able to verify any of Stacy's story. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) That's the way we like it. Yeah, that's right. She's the better half. But I met Stacy basically as a college student. Uh, He was going to Northland International University at the time up in Dunbar, Wisconsin. Uh, we, we recruited him to come to the Hampton Roads area, Virginia Beach, to come to seminary. Uh, the school at the time was called Central Baptist Theological Seminary. It's now Virginia Beach Theological Seminary. 
and uh, just got to know him and his wife and and uh, while they were here and uh, Stacy stayed in the area after graduation and uh, pastored a church that um, our church Colonial Baptist launched out uh, in the beach area so um, he's a he's a wonderful brother he's a, a gifted communicator of God's word uh, he did a great job in establishing Cornerstone Church out there in the uh, in the sh- uh, beach area, Crotan out that way. And so um, it's I'm really excited for you to meet him and hear a little bit about his story as well as uh, some new ventures. He's no longer at the church, but uh, entrepreneuring in a lot of different ways. And it really fits right into the I work for him emphasis and focus. So I think uh, the listeners are going to really enjoy his study. Very cool. Stacy Potts, welcome to I Work For Him. Thank you so much. Um, thank you for having me. You bet. So Stacy, one of the things we always do with new guests on the show is to let our listeners hear a little bit about you and learn about your story. And we want to start that with how you became a follower of Jesus. Sure. Yeah. So uh, I was raised in a Christian home. Um, church as long as I can remember Christian school the whole nine yards made a profession of faith when I was nine years old if I remember correctly a preacher was preaching about hell and he's like if you don't want to go there raise your hand and come up front so of course I didn't want to go there so I raised my hand and came up front and he told me to say some words after him and I did and he said if I meant it then I, I was going to heaven and I went with that for the next nine years of my life despite the fact that there were no changes mm-hmm. uh, no affections for God no Uh, affinity for his word, nothing. And here I am now as a freshman in college, and I have a roommate um, who was a little bit older than me, but he was back in college. He'd been fighting leukemia, and Mm. he became that person in my life that God put there to uh, bring me to himself. He started asking me every day, say, if you're a believer, do you read read God's word? And I was like, no. Next day. You're going to read God's word today? No. Next day. (laughs) Finally, to get him off my back, I started reading the Bible. And when I did, God began using that time to open my eyes to the fact that I was never really a believer in the first place. And over the course of about two or three months brought me to a place of deep, deep conviction and recognition that I was trusting in myself, my goodness, my abilities, not in the finished work of Jesus Christ alone. And uh, God graciously saved me my freshman year of college um, after nine years of self-deception. And your roommate, did you get a chance to thank him? Uh, I did. A uh, funny story, sad, but funny story is he ended up going home after that semester and died of the leukemia that he had been fighting. And mm-hmm. so there's always been that part of me that felt like God brought him back for yeah. that one semester just for me. I mean, I know that can't be the only reason that uh, Kevin came back to, to college that semester, but it's the one that... It's was, possible. It is possible, but mm-hmm. uh, yeah. And you know, one of the things that we talk about and I work for him is the fact that when a lot for students, we believe that their workplace is school. And, you know, specifically going through, you know, middle school, high school, and then even in college, I mean, a lot of college students have a workplace that they're making money at as well. But um, your livelihood, your life revolves around that dorm room. And so your roommate really was living out the I work for him um, thoughts in Mm -hmm. the fact that he wasn't just doing his own life. You know, he was investing in you. And I love that he just asked you that question. Oh, he was bold. I (laughs) love that. He was very bold. Oh, that's great. So, you know, I just want to encourage our listeners to do the same thing. Think about their own life and how they can make that impact. Have you stayed in touch with his folks? 
No, we lost touch uh, shortly after his sure. death. I ended up transferring, as, as Dr. Clem said, to Northland, and uh, so never never spoke mm-hmm. to him again. Well, you'll get an opportunity one day. To one get day. To That's him right. Again. Yep, I think about him quite often. Amen. So at what point in time in your life did you realize that God cared as much about your work as he did as that of a pastor? But before you became a pastor, you had other jobs, because I mean, you were a pastor for 10 years. Did you have a job before you became a pastor? I did. I spent uh, the five years prior to becoming a pastor in the banking industry, started out in uh, working in credit cards, uh, eventually uh, ended my time in banking as a compliance officer in in mortgage lending. (laughs) Yeah. I loved banking. I really did. It was a lot of fun. So I I never, I can't remember a time, and I I hope I'm not um, kind of confusing things or inflating my own opinion of myself, but I can't remember a time where I really saw a humongous difference between the, the secular workforce and the sacred workforce. I always kind of felt somewhere deep down that they were both, uh, important. In fact, even during seminary, that they were both sacred. Yeah, they were both sacred. I, even during seminary, I never even really thought I would end up being a pastor. That was sort of like a, I wasn't sure what God was going to do with that, but, uh, lo and behold, I did end up becoming a pastor and served as one for 10 and a half years. So in the banking world, uh, you, you mentioned you serve time as a compliance officer, which is very <laughs> tough because all you're doing is you're looking for people's mistakes and yep. you're, you're trying to, you know, I mean, that's a tough job. How did, how did you see your faith playing out in that position? Because there's people listening today, they're in the banking world going, I don't see how I can, my faith can impact what I do. Yeah. yeah the joke amongst, uh, I think, the compliance in the compliance world is our job is to say no. Um, mm. <laughs> to, sales always wants to say yes. Compliance always wants to say no. But I had a very unique role. I was basically the negotiator. I was the person who sat between the the true compliance department and the sales department and tried to get them all to the table to play nice and to get along. Wow. And I really enjoyed that role because it's the role of a peacemaker Mm -hmm. in the end. And so there's very direct components and connections between what we know to be true of our responsibilities as believers walking in the spirit and then how I'm going to interact with sometimes very difficult people. not to mention the fact that, of course, in any job of any sort, you always have the ability to share the gospel. Talking with Stacy Potts, he was talking about his life as a compliance officer and how he learned how to just tell people no, which is probably great work, uh, great uh, practice for you. You have kids now, right? I do, a 16-year-old and a 14-year-old. See, well, on a 16-year-old, you learn how to say no all the time now. <laughs> <laughs> and I have the let's keys let's not go there. That's the wrong program. <laughs> <laughs> nope. No, it's a great program because whatever happens at home impacts your work all day long. So, that is true. I mean, if stuff's a mess at home, it impacts work. And your teenagers are definitely messing with your head. That's what they do because they're trying to figure out all about life. They're trying to figure out, is this faith really mine or not? Is this mom and dad's faith or is this my faith? I mean, that's just part of the deal. Mm-hmm. So learning to say no and then figuring out the world doesn't revolve around them is powerful. So yeah. So your your role, did you ever have a chance to really share your faith in the in the banking world? Yeah, I mean like all jobs, I think you have to to find that balance point of of when is the right time, when is appropriate. And what you'll find is as people begin to learn that you actually care about them as a as an individual, as a human being, you mm-hmm. care about what's happening in their family, what's happening to to their marriages, they begin to open up to you and allow you to speak into places that otherwise they may not. So they need to know that you care before they hear that you care. Absolutely. What's the right word, Martha? I just said that wrong. They need to know. What is it, Jack? That you, you, they need before they hear. Oh, I messed up. We'll think about that. I don't know, but I think I, we get the gist. The whole yes. point yeah. is they don't want to. They don't want to. They don't want to hear all your opinions until they know that you really care. Yeah. yeah. And they don't want to hear about yeah. Jesus. Jack, you saw something in Stacy that said, "Hey." I want to call him out of the banking world and call him to this church world. I mean, what was your involvement in getting him plugged into this church? 
Well, at this time, well, you were probably doing the banking work while you were going to seminary. Yes, it was. You, yeah. yeah. So um, he was working uh, there at, uh, and we had several students that were working at the same company. I think yep. you're talking about, mm-hmm. and uh, and it was a great uh, connection for the students. It really got them involved in real world kind of living, and. Uh, but, uh, you know, just it's always fun when you're in that training process or you're in that training atmosphere of the seminary to just observe students and see what God's doing. And, uh, you know, and you could see that Stacy was uh, rising to the top. And that was, uh, you know, a delight for us. And then, of course, you just when opportunities come your way, you want to encourage that uh, they take them and, and uh, pursue them. So, um, I, you know, I, I guess I'm a little bit foggy on how that conversation went with regard to... Oh, I'll bet you, he remembers. ...you following you know, Tim uh, out there at Cornerstone. <laughs> yes. Or, or Colonial then, as it yeah, was called. Yeah, Colonial back then, a different yeah. church name. Uh, yeah, we... we uh, the bank I was a part of here while I was in seminary, their headquarters was in Chicago, um, when I became a compliance officer, moved out to Chicago for a year with the idea that we were going to plant a church in the uh, Chicago suburbs. We had friends who lived there were asking us to come help. So we showed up, uh, started attending a small church, a little church plant, 14 people. When we walked in the door, we made it 18. Um, I think that was the number of the only kids in the church. It was very small. And uh, probably about nine months in, the pastor of that church came to me and said, hey, would you consider taking over this work instead of going and planting something on your own? And not knowing what to do, I called uh, our pastor from uh, here. And I said, I've got two options. Option one is I can go plant a church. Option two is I can take over this little church plant. He goes, that's great. I'm going to give you a third option. I'm leaving. You want to come back? (laughs) Um, Long story short, we ended up coming back and I took over the church we had attended while we were here in seminary. So, but wow. that, well, so talk about the, the mind twist. You're going to seminary to be a pastor. Yet you're in the banking world, and you said that you didn't see a disconnect between the sacred and the secular. You saw it, your role as, in the banking industry as a, as a sacred position as well. What told you that, hey, I needed to be in the pastorate versus being in banking? Well, you know, a lot of people, I think, would probably turn to the idea of, of like a personal call to ministry or something at that moment. Um, I never have. I have reasons for that that are longer probably than we have today. <laughs> but I will say this, that, you know, Paul's prescription in First Timothy 3, that if you desire, I think that's the key part part there that if you desire the work of the overseer you desire a good thing and therefore you must be these these issue uh, these characteristics um, at that point we were desirous of being involved in pastoral ministry not because we thought it was better higher other we just we felt that that was was what we wanted to do at that moment and so that's why we had gone there we were thinking about church planning that's why we were considering even taking over the small church when pastor Tim offered the third option um, it just felt like the right fit and as if God had opened up the doors to bring us to that point. I, I, oh, go ahead, Jack. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, even in the training process, we never, um, in the, at the seminary level, we never tried to elevate the role of the pastor above you know, any other role within life or any other vocation. Um, you know, it was always equip the individual with the skills necessary for ministry, be able to handle the word carefully, interact with people responsibly and genuinely and so forth, uh, demonstrate some good wisdom and all of that. Uh, but, you know, we, we never really, like, push guys into, like, you go, got, you got to go do this. Um, it was more of just, uh, you know, watch for the right opportunities, see how the Lord is working. 
But, uh, you know, not try to make the guys feel uncomfortable. We had men and women in the seminary, of course. Sure. So it's a mixed uh, bag of uh, individuals studying, wanting to just be equipped to be a more, you know, uh, you know beneficial servant in the, in the church. You know, one of the things, though, we've had a lot of people come on the show and talk about this in different formats and, and trying to figure out where did we make this disconnect? Where did we get the impression, you know, to live out our lives that, that we did see, you know, being a pastor as a different calling? You know, and it is a different calling it because different, it's yeah. a huge um, well, responsibility, a, but not higher. But, not higher. Right. but somehow we've we've made that you know, um, distortion in our head and even without somebody telling us, but somehow mm-hmm. we started to believe it. And that's really what this conversation is for. Um, but I love it, especially when we have someone come on the show like this, that, um, has worked in the church and in some form of entrepreneurial situation mm-hmm. or corporate America or whatever it might be, because it gives you a very unique vantage point because you've, mm-hmm. you've, you've lived on in both of those worlds and see how they, they need each other oh, yeah. greatly. Um, but you said something right before we went on the air that I really want to um, hear from, and that's what, how you believe people should see themselves as ministers of Jesus. Sure. Yeah. So uh, what I was sharing before we came on the air was this, um, what I felt like was probably my main mantra over 10 and a half years of pastoring it, I couldn't tell you at what point it was that I started saying this. I think it was probably within the first couple of years that I was back at, at, at Cornerstone, was, had taken over the, the church as the, the lead pastor there. But I really wanted our people to get the sense that they and what they did on a daily basis, on a weekly basis, was not less important than what I was doing on Sunday morning. In fact, what I found was after becoming a pastor, I thought it was much harder to do ministry out in the real world. Because all my neighbors, when they'd say, what do you do for a living? I'd say, I'm a pastor. They'd instantly like hold up their like cross fingers to me, like, stay away. We don't want to talk to you. But <laughs> when I was a compliance officer, I worked for a bank. They'd welcome us right in. Mm-hmm. And um, I wanted our people to get the sense that they were the ones who ultimately had the best opportunities out there. So I started using this little saying, and I, I would say it, we have a lot of people in the Navy. So I'd say, you're not really in the Navy. You are really a minister of Jesus Christ, just cleverly disguised as someone in the Navy. What I was trying to get them to see was on Monday they show up and they're in uniform and they're, you know, on their ship, they're in their shop, whatever the case may be. Mm-hmm. And they look at themselves as just being someone in the Navy. Everyone around them looks at them as just being someone in the Navy. But, but there's a secret here. Yeah. The secret is they're on mission. They're ministers and they need to act that way and think that way. So mm-hmm. how do you overcome that? Because so many Jesus followers out there are confused about... They they have they've been raised like I was to see that the number one tier jobs in the kingdom are pastor and and I would say pulpit pastor and missionary and everything else is a second tier position in the kingdom and yet we all know that to be false now we've been we've been studying this for a decade or more but how do you help people make that paradigm shift because most of them grew up in in position or in churches where they were taught that hey the ultimate calling the ultimate calling is to be a pulpit pastor or a foreign missionary yet. Your job in in the banking world was just as high of a calling. Yep. So how do you, how do you help people bridge that gap? I, I wish I could answer that question definitively. <laughs> I will say that the reason we get to that wrong view is because they hear it so much, right? I mean, and, and if I may call out my fellow pastors from the past, I'm not a pastor today now, but uh, if I would oh, call yeah. them, 
Stop what you just said. But he's a minister of Jesus Christ. I'm a minister of Jesus, but I'm not a pastor. Yes, I'm not yes. a pastor. Stop. He's you're not wrong. You're a wrong. Big you're church. wrong. You're not. You're you're not a pulpit pastor anymore. Right? Are you not a thriving financial representative? I am. I'm, Are you I'm not a an insurance pastor today? <laughs> uh, when you help people with their insurance portfolio. Whether it's a financial portfolio, their insurance portfolio, you are ministering to them. Absolutely, you are a I, pastor to their souls because you're providing for their family. Why is that less of a pastor position <laughs> than a pulpit pastor? I guess so, I just draw a distinction in no, the word. No pastor. more, not on this show, buddy. <laughs> okay, okay. You're still a pastor. Do you get a chance to to touch the hearts of people when you're out there selling? Well, don't you think? Don't you think, though? Uh, I mean, not to diminish the role of pastor either. I mean, I no. think you know because Ephesians four tells us that these are gifts that God has given to His church. Right. But I think what you're talking about in terms of but he's of, in the church. When yes. he said that to the church, he wasn't talking about the four walls church. No, but he was I think, talking about the body of Christ. But I think there is. I think maybe what we could say. Uh, to you know, go along with what you're trying to drive at is that you know there is a shepherding sort of component to what we do in our vocation. So. You know, it's very easy to help a church understand that, hey, when you're working with people, you're really shepherding them. You're really encouraging them. So, you know, maybe we could maintain the role of the church. Mm-hmm. We are actually, we should give some credit where credit is due. We are in the law library at Regent University in, this is in Norfolk, Virginia, right? Yes. Norfolk. No, Virginia Beach. Virginia Beach. It's Virginia Beach. Right. Yeah. That's what I, he's shaking his head. Yep. No, nope, that's not right. Okay. <laughs> where are we, honey? Right. So yeah. we, we got Jack Clem. He's hosting us here at Regent University, and he's brought in a good friend of his, Stacy Potts, who was a pulpit pastor, was a banking pastor. Now he's an insurance and financial planning pastor. You know, but, but here's the deal, because we, and we got into this argument, and I'm going to give Jack the, 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 the microphone in just a second, but the role of the pulpit pastor sometimes can be just teaching. Sometimes it can be truly shepherding because some pulpit pastors are lousy shepherds. Some pulpit pastors are amazing teachers and lousy shepherds. When I'm talking about the pastor role, I'm specifically talking about that interpretation of you're shepherding people because in the banking world, you are shepherding people. In the insurance world, you're shepherding people. In, in this, you're now teaching at Regent University. You're shepherding students. Right. That's not preaching. That's different. That's not teaching. Right, right. But it's and it's not expository and all that other fancy words. What, what, uh, I can't even think what those words are. They start with the e's and all those things. Exit <laughs> Jesus kind of stuff, which I never understood that word. You just want to see the real Jesus, right? Yeah, that's right. That's right. That's right. <laughs> but but talk, Jack. Just jump onto that because because that's really that was my point in bringing that and drawing a little controversy in here is because so many people are like, yeah, well, I'm not a pastor. Right. That's baloney. I had 25 employees at one point in time. I was their pastor. I was the only pastor those people were ever going to meet because they weren't going to church. Yeah, I think, again, you know, in theology, it all turns on definitions, and we try to maintain the, you know, the text of Scripture and what it's saying. I think Ephesians 4 really does define that these are offices, you know, pastor, teacher, and so forth, that you see them listed there in Ephesians 4. So we want to honor that. You know, in other words, God has given these gifts to the church. But at the same time, there is the work of what is going on with those offices that can be shared by the entire congregation. Absolutely. You know, so, so I think what Stacy was trying to say in that previous episode is that he's trying to get his people to see that what they do in their work on a day-to-day basis is shepherding, is, is people care. And so you know, let's take the gospel and apply it to what we're doing and live that out among the people that we're working with. And, you know, I I think if you say or you think about, you know, there's a shepherding component to my work, that just brings a different tone 
I think it brings a different perspective to what you're doing on a day-to-day basis. And as you said, and you're absolutely right, I mean, if you're in a position of administrative leadership, you might be the only shepherd they know. Right. Or, you know, and, and, I mean, it's servant leadership is another way we can talk about it. Mm-hmm. Absol- true servant leadership, right. not just the kind they write about. Right, right, right. Well, and the reality is that the true pastor of a church goes often to get education to be the best pastor he can be. Right. I went and got an education to be the best in business management and administration and accounting that I can be. You know, Jim did that in computer science. And you that know, was and, a lousy well, choice. Okay, but you, <laughs> you, you, you were the, trying to be the best Here's that you the could salt, be in there. Did God make a mistake in your life there with that preparation? No, <laughs> no but he might. He, he might have, um, you know. But my mentor in high school had way more, way more influence on me than he probably should have. Because he should have <laughs> said. He's like, there's going to be a lot of jobs in computers. You should go do that. Right, you know, right. didn't look at Jim as a person and say, what, what, how has God equipped you? Jim never sit still to do that. Okay, but, so but anyway, that's my point is that we all have, you know, ways that God's equipped us to do right. with excellence, but we need spiritual guidance from our pastor that we can then take into that place of work and live it out right. and, and be the best that we can be right. there in that environment. So Stacy, as a guy who'd been in the marketplace, then gets into the pulpit pastoring kind of position, 10 years, you said, mm-hmm. how did you help you, the people in your congregation to know that you valued their work in their mission field? Because really, all of them were in a mission field. All of them had exposure to pre-Christians, non-believers that you didn't have access to. So that was really a mission field for them because those people were never going to come to, most of them were never going to come to your church. Right. How did you let them know that you value what they do? What, what kind of things did you do as a pastor to let them know you, that they were an extension of the church? Um, the, the number one thing we did was we talked about it a lot. I mean, a lot. So much so that to this day, that that little saying that I gave in the last segment about you're really a minister of Jesus Christ, just cleverly disguised as something else, mm-hmm. plays on our slides as people are coming in every Sunday morning. Um, awesome. So we talked about it all the time, and to the point, it, it almost became a joke. People would make fun of me about the saying. Uh, number two, we really purposely, I'm not saying we did it perfectly, but we intentionally attempted to build our, our ministry networks around people's neighborhoods. And rather than trying mm-hmm. to have a very top-down kind of a, a approach to that, we let it be bottom-up. Whatever God was doing in their groups, whatever God had in their lives, the people they brought in, go whatever direction opened up to you without trying to prescribe it too much from the from the top-down. What do you mean you help them develop their... Their, their ministry in their neighborhood. What do, you, what do you mean by that? That's a conversation we've had here on I Work Rim, so I just want to hear what you sure. mean. Yeah, I mean, obviously, a lot of churches do small groups or community groups or whatever they call them. Uh, we, we called them community groups, and we really tried to let the community, whatever that was, whatever God would put together, not necessarily forcing it, uh, though we did it with some points and made terrible mistakes and learned from them, uh, but we let whatever community God would build with our people dictate what they did. So we, for example, had some groups with lots and lots of young families, lots and lots of little kids. Mm-hmm. Well, guess who naturally gravitated to those groups? Other families with little kids. Other young families with little kids. And so rather than trying to say to those groups, hey, you must have a 45-minute Bible study every time you get together. We let them be what that group was. And sometimes their groups were nothing more than five minutes of prayer and a Bible story for the kids. And they actually ended up modeling family devotions in that group. Sure. And that was a fantastic use of their time. And other groups looked differently. We, we didn't want every group to be the same. Wherever they were in the city, whatever components had come together, whatever individuals and families 
we just tried to let the groups dictate internally how they would function and minister, and they ended up coming up with all kinds of things that we would have probably never come up with had we dictated it top down. So you allowed the Holy Spirit to kind of d- guide and direct. We we tried to get out of the Holy Spirit's way. That's awesome. That's that's a tough job to do, isn't it, Jack? As a pa- yeah, I mean, yeah. You've been you've been a pastor a lot of years as well. I and mean, sometimes you're like, I got these ideas. These are what you should do. Right. Well, I, I, I was just thinking through uh, this as well with uh, with you all, Stacy here. Um, you know, I think number one, we're becoming more aware of our historical kind of understanding of this uh, sacred secular sort of divide that we've fallen into and realizing that, well, this is not, you know, those that have gone before us, you know, the, the Calvins and the Luthers, they didn't think this way, mm-hmm. you know? So, you know, we're, I think we're becoming more, at least maybe I'm, I should say it this way, I'm becoming more uh, attuned to that. So history is kind of driving the now with this sacred secular divide. I think also that you're, you're seeing a lot more bivocational pastors, elders on the scene. So I think that's changing the complexion mm-hmm. of the church as well. So now, you know, it's not just the single pastor model kind of leading, but what you see more, what I see in Stacy's generation as well as, you know, above and below it is more of a, you know, a team approach to ministry right. and you have bivocational guys. And so that communicates immediately to the congregation that, oh, well, you know, he's, he's a nine to five guy or a 60 hour week guy, just like I am. And so there's that, that rapport. And of course, now what you have to do is balance responsibility hmm. with that person who's bivocational. I mean, they can only do so much, right. Right. particularly if they have a family and if they're working this kind of job and, you know, they have some level of, uh, of significance. I think also, um, you know, I see a, a, you know, a change in attitude with pastoral leadership, you know, just more of a humility, more of a transparency, more more, Jesus-like more. Yes, exactly. And I think that, uh, you know, we've kind of run the gamut with this heavy handed dictatorial dictator kind of leadership that nobody's responding to. Nobody, nobody responds favorably to that kind of thing. And then also I see a, a lot of, um, you know, a lot of churches are empowering women to do different things within ministry. You know, I've been in churches that uh, you see them reading scripture, distributing um, the Lord's table elements. You see them um, leading in prayer. You see them, you know, doing a lot of things in ministry that's also, I think, you know, fostering a healthy view, not only of, um, you know, bivocational, tearing down that sacred secular but just seeing, you know, a, a proper um, healthy role for women in the in the local ministry as well. Well, and, and we talk about that a lot on I Work For Him, and we won't go deep into that. But it is, you know, when God hands out spiritual gifts, both men and women get them. But in the past, the church has really focused on the spiritual gifts given to men and really stuck a lot of the spiritual gifts of women and put them saying, you know, that those aren't going to be appropriate here. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we have to really work through that. But that's not a conversation for today. But I'm going to make sure I put my two cents in on that one. <laughs> so, Stacy, you're married to Jamie, right? Yep. All right? How many kids do you guys have? Two. Two kids. So in your role as pastor, and then I want to talk about your as you move back out of the pastorate, how did Jamie, how did she play into your role as pastor? What What kind of feedback that you take from her how did she help um shape you because how much time do we have left <laughs> I don't uh, say it all in two minutes in two <laughs> minutes wow okay um I, I mean this you hear this all the time and it almost sounds trite at points and i don't mean it to i mean she she really is the better half here she i would have accomplished absolutely nothing without her i mean nothing um when we came back to, to cornerstone 10 and a half years ago 11 years ago now 
Um, it was a dying church. I didn't know that when I walked in the door. And I was too blind and young and dumb to know what I was walking into. But I, I walked into something, and for the next three and a half, four years, I mean, it was a fight. And she bore the burden of everything happening at home. She carried my burdens along with it. Um, I made so many mistakes with her in that process of, of giving way too many hours to the church and not enough to her and the kids. I mean, I, if I could go back, I would certainly redo some things. But she she, she bore it, and I would not have made it without her. And to this day, I wouldn't make it. I always say she'd be fine if, if I died and she had to go on a lake. But if she died, I would be with, I'd be lost without her. She's, she's my best friend. And a lot of pastors make those same mistakes. A lot of oh, yeah. a, a lot of pastors leading small churches they make the same mistakes. Their 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 families get sacrificed in the name of ministry. Yep. When in fact that's their number one ministry. Yep. Mm-hmm. So so how do you talk to the pastors that are listening today? And, and I hope there's a few. And at least talk to the people that have great friends that are pastors. How you know how can they avoid making those mistakes? <laughs> Uh, whenever I talk to a young guy who's going into ministry or maybe he's just getting started, I, I give him a couple of things. One, I try to scare him a little bit. Honestly, I tell mm-hmm. him, hey, look, don't don't neglect your family. You know, Don't let the church become your mistress at this point. You can very easily do that without even thinking because they're often uh, gung-ho, ready to drive mm-hmm. and do whatever has to be done. But like you just said, your, your family is your first ministry, and they're going to be there long after the church isn't. Um, so I encourage them on that end. Number two, I always, always, always talk to them about their schedule and I tell them, please, I don't care if you have to put it on your calendar, a big block that says busy so that you can tell people, sorry, I've already got something on my calendar. Like you have got to make time and make lots of it for your, your wife and kids. Those are the two biggest things. And I I often will just share my own story, my own mistakes. I just tell them what I did wrong and say, don't do that. We are, um, on location at Regent University and, um, being hosted by Dr. Jack Clem. Dr. Jack Clem. Now, I got you riled up last segment. I love that. That's fantastic. <laughs> and what what I love is the fact that I got you riled up and you started throwing stuff back at me, which is perfect, because that means that you actually love me enough to actually speak back into me, which oh, yeah. is, that's fantastic. Well, we've done this enough that I know how you, how you, uh, how you re- roll. How you, roll. <laughs> well, you know, the biggest <laughs> thing I want people to hear is that, that their position isn't diminished because it doesn't have the word pastor in front of it. Right. And, and yet, we, and, I've, and we've had a lot of opportunities in our businesses to... to experience the role of pastor, shepherding part of pastor. I've got a chance to preach, too. I love that. Probably would scare people off eventually. But but it's it's important that people understand the power of the role in their mission field. Mm-hmm. And, and unfortunately, a lot of us don't get equipped for that ministry that we are involved in on our mission field on a daily basis out there in the marketplace, the workplaces of America. And you spent a lot of years in the pulpit, too. You even did some, you know, almost, I would quote, quote, unquote, purgatory time in Fargo, North Dakota. I mean, that's that's some pretty serious time. What did you say to the Lord? Did you say, Lord, anything but North Dakota? Is that what you said? No, no, not really. Because normally that's what happens when you tell the Lord no, and then he sends us to North Dakota. Right, right. No, but it was, uh, no, those were great, uh, those were great uh, periods of my life and times that I made some great friends and continue to have those relationships still uh, as very sweet and and uh, ongoing. So, and he doesn't uh, want to burn those relationships no. by saying that. Hey, I'm from Minnesota. We love the people of North Dakota. Just yes, for the record. we That's do. Right. We Especially the ones people. that have land with oil on it. We'd love to have you make a donation to I Work For Him. Let's go to IWorkForHim.com. That's I right. Work, the number four, him.com. Jack, you invited Stacy Potts to join us here today. Right. And we're, as you said, we're in Virginia Beach today. Why, what, ask Stacy the question you want to make sure he answers before we get off the air today. Yeah, just uh, tell your story about uh, how God has um, um, called you, you know, 
basically from the pulpit pastoring to, you know, what you're doing right now uh, with uh, financial. And, and uh, you know, I think uh, Stacy and I, I think, share in, in many ways a similar heartbeat for just wanting to mentor, wanting to serve, wanting to be a resource for people. Uh, he and I have had uh, a number of coffee uh, conversations about, you know, what could we do, how could we do it, you know, what, what, how could we bring our skill sets together to perhaps serve, you know, the body of Christ in, in uh, a kind of behind-the-scenes sort of a way. And, uh, you know, I think uh, leadership today in a local church is often uh, beaten up uh, and discouraged and, and lonely at times. And so how do you come alongside that brother or that sister who's uh, in the, you know, on the front lines of ministry and just help them, resource them, encourage them? And so I think we share that similar kind of a heartbeat. And, uh, you know, I just love what he's doing. I knew that the two of you would would enjoy conversing with one another. In fact, I, I told him, you need to talk to my friend Jim Brangenberg as soon as you know, we were having coffee one day. So uh, so here it is. So we had to have schedule a radio interview. That's right. Because right. he can't leave the room until it's over. That's so. right, right. He's attached by headset. <laughs> so, Stacy, talk about it. I mean, ten and a half years uh-huh. running a church. What, 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 what shut it off and said, the Lord's saying to you and Jamie, your two kids, okay, I want you to move over to here. Yeah. Um, boy, that's a, a really, really long story that I will condense greatly. It was one of those moments. That it wasn't like a, a single day, a single mm-hmm. instance. Um, if you look at the trajectory of our church over the pa- uh, past 10 and a half, 11 years now, things are the best they had ever been. Um, our church had grown numerically. We were well cared for, loved, respected. You hear sometimes pastors leaving churches because there's some terrible thing happening. The opposite was true at Cornerstone. And yet, despite all of the good, both Jamie and I separately and eventually together started to wonder, is there something next? Um, we began to feel as if we had finished what we came to Cornerstone to do. I, I'm, I don't know what God has for me in life, but I really do get a sense that I'm, I'm a starter, not necessarily a sustainer. Mm-hmm. I love building and seeing something grow from nothing. Uh, the Cornerstone certainly wasn't nothing when I came, but as I told you at the beginning, it was a dying church. It was struggling, and it was a real fight. And uh, as I look back now on that fight, I look back at it with a great deal of fondness. I loved it. By the time everything was going really, really well, I was kind of like, okay, now what? Uh, what's the next thing? So, well, if I could jump in, too. Sure. Um, you know, it took you about two years to make this decision, and maybe even three, longer. Three and a half or so. Because you invited me into the conversation at one point. Yep. Uh, Two years before, you know, so you were kind of messing around with thinking, what do I do next? Yep. Uh, you and I talked to maybe about two years before you actually pulled the trigger and, and yep. made the change of direction. So Yeah, I brought a lot of people into this. It wasn't a, uh, you know, a, a sort of a... It wasn't flippant. It wasn't no. a flippant decision. Our, our whole elder team prayed about it together for yeah. three and a half years. Um, I had multiple outside advisors kind of walking. Because Jamie and I had, we made a couple of decisions. One, we, 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 didn't, we didn't want to make it just on our own. And number two, we wouldn't make the decision until we were both 100% convinced that it was the right choice. So one day I might be 100 and she might be 50. And we're like, not today. The next day would be the flip-flop uh, response. But finally one day uh, in um, early 2017, I think it was, we looked at each other and said, we're ready. And we made the step. And what was that step into? Well, the initial step was to go to our elder team, again, who had been faithfully praying with us. You talk about a great group of guys, uh, dear brothers. Um, we went to them first and said, we're ready and we want to do this well. I've, I mm-hmm. came into a church. When we came to Cornerstone, the pastor, and no fault of his own, I'm not you know, saying anything negative about him, but he had left two weeks before I got there and I walked in with no idea what was going on. 
Um, I didn't want that to happen again. So we put together a one year transition plan, brought the new guy in who was coming from the inside anyway, uh, three or four months before I officially mm-hmm. stepped down so he could hit the ground running. We tried to do it as best we could, humanly speaking. And so far it seems that God has honored that and the church has really thrived through that process. Excellent. Yeah. So where did God move you to? Well, uh, so I joke now that I'm tri-vocational and, and the joke here is that I'll try anything once. Um, <laughs> no, I, uh, before stepping down, I, I wrote some books um, for pastors. I, I, I always tell people I'm a dork at heart. I love administration. I love thinking through dollars and cents, and I really had a heart to try to help pastors think through their their unique uh, uh, situation when it comes to their compensation. Pastors aren't treated like anyone else by the IRS, and so I wanted to help them. So I wrote a series of four books for pastors and kind of built a website and a ministry around that. I also... Which is BrokePastor. BrokePastor.com. Yep. .com. Yep. Uh, That's so, how not to be. A broke pastor. Right. That's the title, the title of the book. Of the book yeah. How not to be a broke pastor. Yeah. So that uh, was a labor of love of 10 years in the making for me, just trying to make sure I understood how to help uh, guys who didn't have a background in business think through some very complicated things for them. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's been a real joy. I also am uh, now a vice president of campaign management with our local preg- pregnancy center here in Hampton Roads. Uh, the Crisis Pregnancy Center of Tidewater. So my job in that capacity is to run our, our large-level campaigns that generate revenue giving to the ministry. And then I also work with Thrive and Financial on the insurance side, uh, primarily helping people think through the, the their insurance needs and stuff. So I, I have a, a number of hats I'm wearing at any particular point. Now, back in March when Unplanned rolled out on the 27th, did you guys have a big push here locally to build everybody to see that movie? No, in fact, uh, it's funny you bring that up. I literally just saw that movie today. Not, not saw the movie. I just saw about the just saw the title for the first time today. It was not pushed in this area. Wow. Well, we may be able to get it on a comeback because I know that it's it's out there and it's fresh. It's a powerful, powerful movie. Just I figured because of the pregnancy. Are you guys part of CareNet then with the pregnancy center? Uh, we are affiliated. We have a number of affiliations. Yeah, we're, okay. yeah we're not yeah. a CareNet facility, but we're affiliated. Okay. All right. So speak to the audience. And, and Jack, I'll let you uh, chime in before we're done here too. Speak to the audience, people that are listening. They're in any kind of position. They could be uh, digging a ditch, climbing a pole, selling used cars. They could be doing anything, CEO of a company. Speak to them about you, how you as a pulpit pastor saw their work. Their work is kingdom work. I mean, when you think about what Jesus gives as like the spectrum of valuable work or valuable deeds, he, he on one hand says, if you give a cup of cold water, you're not going to lose your reward. And on the other hand, he says, greater love has no one than this that they lay down their life. So somewhere between dying for someone and giving them a cup of water, you've got a pretty wide spectrum of things you can do that are valuable to Jesus. So, in my opinion, uh, again, I go back to this. They are ministers. They, they are ministers. I don't care if they're retirees, students, stay-at-home moms, office workers, mechanics. It doesn't matter what they do. They, we all have the same mission, and that's to go out and proclaim Jesus wherever God has put us. And those mission fields, I'm telling you, no one else is going to reach them. No one else is going to. I never could get into the offices as a pastor, and yet they let the office workers in every day. That's right. It, it's a... It's a wide open mission field, and, and, and people cannot forget that. Jack, what about you? You got a minute. Tell people, just give them a heart. Actually, now you got 45 seconds because you waited. Uh, <laughs> talk to the audience. Encourage them. Yes, what I'd like to encourage you, first of all, just see how you are created in the image and likeness of God. God made you to be a creator, made you to image him in the kinds of things you do at work, 
that are creative, you know, and then also uh, God's made you to image him in, in kind of your redemptive, his redemptive role. And so, you know, what are the broken things all around you that you can, you can participate in seeing restored and, and renewed and, and uh, made, uh, made well again? So, um, you know, think about yourself as I'm created in the image and likeness of God. I am united with Jesus Christ. I'm on mission with him. And uh, as I do that and as I image him, I image him in just my creativity and in my redemptive work. Amen. Dr. Jack Clem, thanks for hosting us here at Regent University this afternoon. Appreciate it. Oh, you're welcome. Great to have this opportunity to be together with you and Martha. And, and uh, welcome. You're, you're welcome back anytime. No, we love it. And Stacy Potts, thanks for sharing your story. Really Thank love you. it. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Check him out online, brokepastor.com, brokepastor.com. Listen, the conversation is wide open. Just get this from it. Your workplace, it's a mission field, and you're needed there. You're listening to I Work For Him with your host, Jim and Martha Brangenberg. We're Christ followers. Our workplace, it's our mission field, but ultimately, I, I work, work for him. him.